as we continue to uh, continue in our series of Hosea. We're in Hosea chapter 5 today. You know, last week we, we talked about uh, the accusation, the charges uh, that God was bringing uh, to the nation. And then they continue with this court theme. Hosea goes on to say, now that uh, you have been given the charges, the evidence has been there that the judge, because in those days you would have had a judge, typically the king. Uh, that's why we see in Chronicles and Kings, Solomon acting as a judge. We see that in the Exodus, Moses. And one of the things that uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said to uh, said to him is, look, you've got to appoint other people to help you out here. You can't decide everything and think you're going to be able to do it. Well, Israel would have been known of that idea that somebody, a judge, would have then reached a verdict based on what was there. And so we open up chapter 5, and it's the verdict. What has God decided? What has the judge decided? And in order to do that, we need to understand this about God. God's character is perfect. There's nothing about God that is imperfect or, or lacks something. You know, who is God? The short, very, very short answer is perfect. His goodness is perfectly good. His justice is perfectly just. His holiness is perfectly holy. And, and you put all those things together and he is perfect in all those ways. And we can't comprehend what a perfect being is as they, they are perfectly good 100% of the time and they are perfectly holy 100% of the time and they're perfectly justice 100% of the time, all together. You know, some of our heads just kind of exploded on the inside and realized that. Because sometimes we'll say, well, God's grace and God's justice mean this, but there's, there's never a separation between God's grace and God's justice. It's all one and the same. He is always perfect and he's always good. 100% of the time, and it's always perfect. 100% of the time. And that we must remind ourselves that that's God's character. Our character is imperfection. We are imperfect. Now we strive for perfection all the time. We want to be perfect in something. And so we we may do that, but but let's be honest, none of us, we, some of us may be perfect in certain aspects of life. You know, Daniel every so often would come home and he said, well, guess what my grade was? I think it was science or math most of the time. And I'd say, what? It's like 103% or something like that. And he doesn't remember. He's like, I don't know, maybe. You know, that's beyond perfection. Only because his teacher was gracious to give him bonus points, you know? Now, some of us, we needed those bonus points not to get 103%, but we got those bonus points to get us to 70. You know, maybe 75 you know, uh, but I will tell you this, Daniel isn't perfect in all ways, are you? Okay, see, he can admit that. Good, good, good. You know, none of us are. Calvin may be a perfect tinkerer in his barn, you know, and be able to figure things out, but he's not perfect in all ways, are you, God? I'll have to ask her, and I can guarantee you, we're not going there, you know. We're not going to put her on the record <laughs> with it. You may be great about all things, 
things, but we will not be great in all things. We are imperfect. And to some extent, until we realize this truth of Scripture, we will get ourselves in trouble again and again and again because we will think we are better than our, we really are. And that we may deserve something. As we open up, we must remind ourselves that God's goodness is powerful. His goodness is very, very powerful. In good ways, maybe not so good ways. That God can overcome lots of things. Our imperfection, sin, is also powerful. And one of the things sometimes we can run against, and we see this in the nation of Israel in chapter 5, is they thought their sin was no big deal. They thought they could continue to just go up and, and to go and give their sacrifices to the Lord. You know, uh, in verse 6, when they go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. You know, when they, when they go to celebrate the new moons and the festivals, they will not be healed, he says in verse 6 and 5. See, they thought that their sin wasn't that big of a deal, that God's goodness would just override everything. And so everything would just be A-O-K. And it wasn't just they sinned once. Israel, as we read here in Hosea, persisted in sin. There's a difference between messing up and intentionally continuing on in that. There's a difference between temptation to sin and what I would call a habitual lifestyle of sin. And what we see here is this persistent nature of sin. Where they continue on and on and on and on. And we must be careful that we don't get in a very similar way. Because if we persist in sin, the next thing is a hard heart. Israel, as we read here, as a, they, you know, they, they celebrate their new moods, they think they're good, but they had a hard heart. They failed to see who God is. They quit seeking the Lord truly. As verse 4 says, their deeds do not permit them to return to God. Hard heart. If we're running a, a theme throughout Scripture or a thread throughout Scripture, there's other kinds of hard-heartedness within Scripture. Maybe the most famous is Exodus. There was a Pharaoh who refused to acknowledge who God was and what he wanted to do. And, and, and it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. He stopped seeing that maybe God was up to something. And he continues on the path over and over. We see here Israel became hard-hearted. We read, I think, in the Gospels, the Pharisees, the religious leaders today, had a little bit of hard-heartedness. They failed to see what who Jesus. 
God. And then we read in Romans 1 that we as individuals can become so hard-hearted that we think what we are doing is right. We fail to recognize God. We read, maybe even we could say, in the book of Genesis, during the days of Noah, there was a hard-heartedness, refusing to acknowledge God in his ways. And so we think about, what does God do? Remember, God is perfect, right? He's perfect in everything he does. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly gracious. He's perfectly just. And sometimes, as we will see here, and as we see in other passages of Scripture, sometimes God gives us what we want. A gracious act, to some extent, if you ask me. He says, fine, if you really want that, you can have it. And we read here that what happens is, is uh, in verses 8 uh, on down, that, that Judah, or Israel, also known as Ephraim, they, they, they decide that they want, uh, verse, through verse 14 actually, they go and they, they want what they want. They want things their way. They don't want to submit to God, so they call on others to help them, the king of Assyria. God says, sure, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to go to war against your neighbors, Judah. You know, but, but, but if that's what you want, if you really want Assyria to come and help you, they'll come. And you will get what you want. And they did. The Second Chronicles talks about how they aligned themselves to pick a fight or try to finish the fight with, with Judah. You know, it, it didn't end up going well for, for Israel. Be honest with you, it didn't go well for Judah either. Because they started getting the God's divine. You can have what you want too. Because God says there, you have it. You can have what you want. And they would come to realize they didn't really want what they wanted. Uh, the Bible says uh, this. You know, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. I like how Eugene Peterson puts this uh, in his message translation. The, you work all your life for a pension of, or retirement, a 401k of death. That is what we are rightfully given. And we see here that when we get what we want, it leads to destruction in death, death of one another, death of ourselves. And we see a depiction of God that is goes against the grain of what we may know. We know God is depicted a lot of times as a gentle man, meek and mild, and he is that. We see in the gospel, he's like a mother hen that wants to bring all the chicks around. But here, we see God is depicted as a lion. And not a friendly lion. It says, I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. And then I will return to my lair, my den, until they have borne their guilt. 
because sin is powerful. And God must do something with sin. You can't just let it run supreme. You can't just let it go as if it doesn't matter. And so he's depicted as a lion. He's also depicted in verse 12 as moth. Or uh, maybe in the original language, it's like the pus that comes out of infection. You know, they want to be healed, and he's like the pus that keeps coming out. Does that, I mean, that doesn't sound like a picture of God, does it? But it's true. Because God can't just let things continue on as if it doesn't matter. What God would a God be if they allow us to do whatever we wanted and nothing be done about us. Probably wouldn't, in my opinion, wouldn't be a God. But what's the goal of all this? See, we can get into some of this, and maybe some of us are like, yes, I like the fact he's depicted as a lion. I'm going to go be like God, and I'm going to be a lion, and I'm going to tear off those who are sinning. I mean, we, we, could, we could go with that, right? We would be missing it. Because the goal here was a restoration of relationship with the nation of Israel. God wasn't just doing this so he could get even. God wasn't doing this just so he could prove to them who he was. God doesn't need to prove himself. In fact, the issue was not that God needed to prove it, it's the fact that the nation of Israel were not able to acknowledge the Lord, verse 4. They stopped understanding who God is. They stopped going, God is a God that takes sin serious, but God is a God of relationship, and he wanted to restore that relationship. As we're saying, he's been faithful all our lives. And then in, in, in Hosea, he's depicted as the faithful, loving person. And all he asks is for acknowledgement. Now that may sound like small, but that means a lot. A restoration of relationship. A restoration of who they were in him. As I read Romans 6.23, we see the last half of that. The gift of God he is eternal life. Gift. The goodness of God gives gifts. We can have eternal life. Why? Because he wants a relationship. He doesn't just want us to be beaten over the head because of our sin, but we got to take sin seriously. Jesus would say this, if your eye causes you to sin, what did he say? Blame it on the other person? No, gouge it out. If your arm, you know, causes you to sin, cut it off. He wasn't talking about self-mutilation. Otherwise, we'd all be blind and none of us would have arms. All right? But what he was saying was this, deal with sin in our life quickly. The issue in Hosea was the nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, the the priests of Israel refused to deal with sin. And it festered, caused rot, an infection. God said, we've got to take that out. Notice that it says here on your screen, deal with sin in 
our life, or I could say my life, Blakeford. It's really easy to see the sin in someone else's life. Jesus' words were, and before you try to take the speck out of someone else's eye, first take the law out of yours. We normally have that the opposite way, do we not? We try to take the speck out of our eye. Or you know what? Eliana had this. She just had a little something in her eye. She could still see, but it was bothering her. You know, we go, well, I just, I can, I can look at that place uh, log in his eye with one eye. You know, I might got a speck over here, but I can see his log there. Notice what Jesus said. Take the log out of your eye. Will you deal with your sin and your life quickly? Before the Lord has to become like a lie. See, this wasn't God's first step. He had warned them time and time again. Deal with it quickly. Because if you don't, it'll start to fester. This is also why I think uh, Paul talks about uh, getting rid of all bitterness, envy, and rage. He says it over and over again. Bitterness being a root for many things. How bitter do you find yourself? It's easy to be bitter. We can look around and see bitterness. We can look around and give all the reasons why we maybe ought to be bitter, that life isn't good. Our neighbors, not my neighbors, you know, but neighbors may give us reason to go, what is wrong with humanity today? And they give us reason. And my neighbors may look over and go, I know why there's uh, you know, trouble in our world today. You know? We may get it. Bitterness, I believe, is something we have to be on guard against. We've got to deal with it quickly. And then we must remember, yes, though sin is powerful, there is someone who is greater than sin. And that is Jesus Christ, the Lord, who will forgive sin and restore relationship. He will give us what we need, not what we want. Sometimes what we need is what we want. But what we really need is Him. Food. The book of Hosea is telling us of God's goodness. How oh, he's going to great lengths to say, come, I'll forgive the sin. It costs. And there are consequences of sin. In fact, the consequence of the sin that was going here, if the nation of Israel would have just called on the Lord to be their, their battle, then they wouldn't have probably been wiped out shortly after the Syrians come in. But they wanted it their way. But God said, okay, have it your way. But we see that God has never finished. You see here the final verses. I will return to my lair, thus saith the Lord, until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery they will earnestly seek me. And the hope that begins our message for next week. Come, 
let us return to the Lord. Come, let us go to the one who has called us by name. Come, let us go. You know, your sin doesn't have to have the last word. We can live in that. We can live in the fact that our sin has the last word. You know, and, and we can live in a sense of shame and guilt, and that will take us away from relationships with others. But at the same time, the sin someone has done to you, where maybe you are dealing with the consequences of someone else's sin, does not have to have the final sin. Sin is powerful, but our Lord is more powerful. That's why the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans. I mean, he said many tough things in Romans. But he would say in one of his hallmark times in the book of Romans, he said this, Where, O death, is your sting? Actually, that's Corinthians. I take that back. Corinthians. Uh, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? But grace be to God that he has overcome he, he is, he thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But the grace, the gift of God is victory over both. He would go on to say, you need to hear this as well, O church. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He doesn't say, yes, that may be true. Now give yourself fully to whatever you want to do. When he says the work of the Lord here, he's not just talking the work of the church, he's talking about submission to Christ. Over and over again. Because he will forgive sin and will restore a right relationship with him and with others. It goes both ways. If we are in right relationship with Christ, we can be in right relationship with others. And yes, others will sin. Others will sin, but we don't have to be a lion that tears them apart. They don't have to be that constant infection to remind them of their sin. Sometimes we may. You know what? We can say, because I know Jesus, this is not the end. No one is doomed in their sin if they don't choose to save it. There is hope. Hope for today and hope for our world. Is our world getting worse and worse? Yes. You know what? As God's people, that should not surprise us. For, for we know that sin leads to death in many ways. But, and this is the key, but we know the gift of Christ. So we can go out and be light, to be salt, and to be the hope this world is looking for. They just don't know where to turn. We can be maybe a little bit of that 
water that softens hearts so that they come to see who Jesus is. And we let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And that is deal with sin perfectly at same time. We pray with you. Father God, we thank you for this brief time to get in your word, to try to learn from your word, to, to try to find hope, to, to understand what we ought to do. And so Lord, may we continue to, to meditate, to chew on this word, this book of Hosea, as we see the fact that sin is powerful and it has consequences. And our job is to acknowledge you every single day, and our job is to quickly deal with the sin that comes up in our lives as we seek to be your people, be different from the world around us. And so, Lord, may we do so this day. Lord, may we come to your cross to, to find the healing and the wholeness that we need. May we come to you, the one who is over all sin, who has conquered sin, who came into this sinful world and was fully human, but yet fully God, and, and never sinned once, so you became the ultimate and final sacrifice. And then when we are submitting ourselves to you, we've accepted you as Lord and King and Judge, then your sacrifice is sufficient. And then we need to live out your heart for us. Lord, be with us as we continue in worship, as we worship the rest of this day, and we do so with a reminder of who you are, of who we are, and how you have called us to be different, to be like you in all things. We pray this in the name of the law, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.